This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Skydiving. This is amazing. Yeah, but you know what else is amazing? An iPhone 6S for just 49 bucks at Metro. Really? Imagine streaming all the way down with that amazing camera. I'm switching. That's smart. You know what else is smart? Parachutes. Woo! Switch to Metro and get an amazing iPhone 6S for only 49 bucks. Metro by T-Mobile. Phone offer requires port in of number not currently active on T-Mobile network or active on Metro in past 90 days. See store for details and terms and conditions. Take the baseline out. Uh-huh. 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 Let it bump go. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knox Podcast. I am Dan Favalli, coming at you this time without my esteemed co-host, Andy Bailey, who, in his stream of poor life decisions, is doing a bunch of law school stuff at the moment. So he isn't able to join us today, but I am super pleased to welcome friend of the Hardwood Knox Podcast, Bleacher Report's Grant Hughes has been kind enough to join us in advance of what we call the NBA's trade season, uh, December 15th, when most of the players who sign contracts over the summer as free agents are officially eligible to be traded, which kind of just kickstarts the rumor mill even more so than it's already up and running. Just before we begin, though, I, I want to remind you to... The iPhone XR is here at T-Mobile, and there's a whole lot to love, like those perfect portrait mode selfies you're going to share. Nice. And how emojis now turn every FaceTime with the kids into fun time. <laughs> in fact, the only thing you'll love more than your iPhone XR is getting it included in the price when you get an unlimited plan. That's right. Get both unlimited and iPhone XR included for just 40 bucks a month. Sure, you can get unlimited somewhere else. But for the same price at T-Mobile, you get unlimited and iPhone XR. Join today and get iPhone XR included with your unlimited plan for just 40 bucks a line for four new lines. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE or visit a store today. $30 for essentials plus $10 for iPhone XR with auto pay and qualifying trade-ins via 36 bill credits. Customers may notice lower speeds and further reduction if using more than 50 gigs per month. Video at 480p for well-qualified buyers plus taxes and fees. Contact us before canceling or remaining balances due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. Zero down plus $2084 per month for 36 months. Full price $749.99, 0% APR. Subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes if you haven't done so yet. Andy and I, all we really want this holiday season is to get to 100 reviews, and we're, we're about halfway there, and we would just love for all of you to get into the, the kind, generous holiday spirit and maybe just throw a five-star review, or even if you want to give us some real feedback in the um, reviews comment section, uh, we appreciate any and everything that we get. You can also follow Hardwood Knox on Twitter at Hardwood Knox. Um, and be sure to follow our guest today at Grant Hughes on Twitter. He is at GT underscore Hughes. He is so close to 1,000 followers. And I've said this before on Twitter, but I don't have a good Twitter following, so it falls on deaf ears. 
that he really needs to be at the 1K mark. He's 12 followers short. If by this time at the end of the week he's not at 1,000, I'll be genuinely heartbroken. He won't care, but I will care for him. <laughs> so um, now the question that everyone wants to know, how are you doing today, Grant? I'm doing good, and I should tell you that uh, you know I appreciate your quest to get me to 1,000 followers, but I've been kind of doing some self-sabotage lately. Um, because, uh, you know, anytime I tweet or I don't really tweet that much, but if I retweet something that, uh, is, you know, like there was an election in Alabama last night that I thought turned out well. And anytime I tweet anything to that, roll tide, war Eagle, good job, good job state down there that hasn't got a lot right for a long time. (laughs) Um, anytime I tweet something like that, it's like, Oh, I lost four followers like that. So I got to be careful with the sabotage. Maybe if I get over a thousand, um, I'll, uh, I'll just, go super uh right wing and just keep all those people that they keep uh following me i do retweet a lot of political stuff too i, I don't tweet my own because I, I find it hard to articulate that stuff i'm paid to write about sports for a reason yeah um, stick to sports dan yeah so um i i don't know and i i think what you really need to make your brand is i had told you this the other day that i'm uh i don't know i think i was re-watching a game and then all of a sudden my twitter uh notifications pop up grant Hughes tweeted for the first time in a while. It was just this random Donovan Mitchell tweet. I think that needs to be your brand, your niche. Like I think you just need to pop in every once every seven days or so with with, with just that Donovan Mitchell tweet, and that'll that'll probably get you to ten thousand followers before you know it. That's a, and you know what? Like I don't even remember what I tweeted, but uh, I I think it was really benign. It was like nice play there by Donovan Mitchell. It was like the the lamest tweet ever. But you know what? I, I I'm big in Utah. I, I wonder what my percentage of followers are that are Utah Jazz fans because usually when I tweet something about the Jazz, it's good. And I feel like uh, the Jazz are one of those franchises that have a persecution complex, like nobody pays attention to us, we're really good, and nobody cares. So that's a good that's a good niche audience to have. I think maybe I should just be the Donovan. I'll give you the, the most mundane Donovan Mitchell updates every three to six weeks, and that will be my whole Twitter game. I don't want to sound like a stalker, but your tweet was Donovan Mitchell sure is fun. It's just ingrained <laughs> to my memory um, forever. So I, I think that I think that's a fine brand. And, you know, I'm with you on the jazz following. It's it's definitely in part because Andy retweets me all the time, and he has a huge, huge jazz following. And I've yeah. noticed this year and, and most of last year, but definitely this year, I'm, I've watched so much jazz, and I'm, I'm not exactly sure why. Like I try and spread out what I'm watching when I'm watching basketball, and yet I think maybe because I know I'm podcasting with Andy, and I feel like I need to keep up with him. And it's sort of like I've just I've digested so much Utah Jazz this season that maybe I should have a lion share of my followers as Jazz fans because that's the team that I watch so much. Maybe so. You know, I'm trying to figure out what the inverse of the Jazz fandom appreciation is on in terms of like team Twitter followers. I feel like uh, the Pacers fans will just kill you if you say anything bad about indiana um and maybe that's just my fault because i thought the pacers were going to be so bad and so boring this year that that like i'm getting retweeted of things that i wrote like months ago because oladipo is awesome and i thought that you know paul george trade was terrible we will talk about trades at some point that's the point of this but um but now yeah man pacers i am i don't think i could go to indiana right now i don't think i'd be allowed Minnesota fans get me a lot on Twitter too. Like they, they just seem to still be, I, I don't know, just working through some stuff because of their basically <laughs> decade and a half of, of irrelevance. And like they'll, I tweeted this innocuous, like 
Jimmy Butler moving out of the way of uh, J.J. Barrera gif on Sunday night. Like, it was funny. Uh-huh. He just pulled the dip, and J.J. Barrera dove into the floor, and they were just like, they went off because a foul was called on Jimmy Butler, and it was just so unfair for that and th- this and that. So that, that's another fan base that kind of um, will find me on Twitter, no matter how innocuous my posts are about them. So. <laughs> That's a weird one because I maybe this says more about me than anything else. But like if I'm a if I'm a Wolves fan, I'm really disappointed and upset because of all the talent. And like I I don't know how I would get through the day if I was a Timberwolves fan without just like beating my head against a wall because Carl Anthony Towns just can't play defense. I would be so frustrated by that, and I would be like, I wouldn't be to the point of like trade this guy, but I would be. It would be just like I'd be so upset. I feel like they ought to be more angry at the team than than people saying anything about him. I don't know. Maybe that's probably just me, probably my personality. Well, I think uh and then sometimes people just can't catch snark. Like I'm not, you know, I'm not I might be I'm subjectively biased, I like to call it. Like I'm just, I'm going to crap on every single team. I just Oh, I like that. So so I'm just that's what I'm going to do, but like people get like mad. Like if you post like if you post something that's clearly a joke, I have to clarify it sometimes in my mentions. And that this isn't a shot at Timberwolves or Jazz fans. Um Jazz fans are actually very good, astute at kind of picking up on sarcasm. Knicks fans are not. Spurs fans are genuinely good, um, and and there are other few fan bases that are. But you sometimes have to clarify because if you're, you know, I I think it's pretty clear when most of the time I'm going to tweet nonsense because like that's just me. But I think it's pretty that's clear. your brand. Yeah, like, but yeah. I'm, I'm I think it's pretty clear when you can that it's easy to delineate between when we're being real and when we're just being purposely over the top for shits and giggles. And just to clarify, my brand is tweeting post-game pictures of players and coaching coaches hugging while I caption them with stupid crap that sometimes goes viral or makes people mad. That I've decided that that's my brand. Yeah, I think maybe you need to just just simplify and tweet things like Donovan Mitchell sure is fun, but don't use Donovan Mitchell like stay off my block on that one. I think I'm gonna. Rev- I was gonna. I was thinking Kyle Anderson, but then he got injured, so I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, anyway, <laughs> after that nice little <laughs> rabbit hole, um, I, so we're we're recording this on December 13th, uh, which is less than two days away from when the pl- most players who sign contracts will be eligible to be moved. And I'm just gonna throw it to you to. We kind of just want to go through some teams and players who. We have our eyes on. They don't have to have been like free agents or recently traded. I just, I just think that since this kicks off the official start or the unofficial start of the NBA's trade season, uh, we should just go through some teams and players that everyone should have their eye on. And I'll let you start uh, either with a team or player of your of your choosing who you're going to be watching uh, starting December fifteenth. Yeah. So he's not a December fifteenth guy, um, but he's definitely been, you know much discussed i guess uh, all year really and even even in the off season um and that's deandre jordan um to me i just keep seeing all these packages proposed out there and and i've done some pieces myself on those um trying to come up with some um and and he's got the you know, he's hired an agent and he didn't have an agent for a couple years there have been comments both from him and from the organization that would seem to indicate that trade talks are you know, pretty real, or at least the idea seems pretty real. Um, and he's just a fascinating figure to me because there seems to be this idea that he's a he's going to be a difference maker for, uh, you know, maybe the Bucks are a team that keeps getting talked about, Cleveland, wherever he might go. Um, and these packages that you're seeing proposed out there, I mean, this is a guy that's going to opt out. I mean, he is – I don't see any scenario where – 
the team that he ends up with has a really good shot at keeping him unless you're doing these back channel discussions ahead of time and you know that, yeah, wink, wink, he's, he's interested <laughs> in re-signing, um, which definitely is how most of these deals get done. But to me, um, I'm not super sold on it being worth it to give up a whole lot for Jordan, who we've seen has really not been so hot without Chris Paul around, um, for like a few months, and then maybe you lose him. So, but but it, but there's a ton of interest. Um, so to me, he's one of the most interesting guys, and I'm just going to be fascinated to see where he goes. One, probably the Bucks, because Jeff Schwartz, his agent, is just way in bed with Jason Kidd, and 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 that seems like a, the way that things are going. But and then what the packages are going to be, because I don't know how you put something together that makes sense going both ways. I'm totally with you, and uh, he's going to opt out, but at the same time, it's like if he opts in, he's going to make $24.1 million. Are, are we going to assume he turns 30 in July? How many years is it going to take him to recoup that money? Because if you're giving Jordan $20 million a year in free agency this summer, like that's going to be a problem with the direction that the league is headed. His, If you have a point guard or a good playmaker, then he's fine for you on offense. Like The Clippers have Teodosic back now, and... DeAndre Jordan's offensive stock is going to rise. It'll go up when Blake Griffin comes back if he's still there. And he's a beast on the boards. He can still be a good defender. The Clippers are just like a mess on the perimeter, so that really skews his rim protection numbers. But he's still good, and I actually think he could help a team. But given what we know about bigs and, and how the league is oversaturated with them, like I was almost wondering, like, should he just opt in? Because how many years is it going to take him? Three years to get twenty five million? Probably not. It'll take, I would say, two. Um, and and that's something to factor in. I'm I'm with you though that the free agency, regardless of what you think his ultimate value is on the open market, that kind of makes it hard for the Clippers to command a hefty return for him. And I think that's one why they could consider keeping him, but also too why you're seeing this like stark variance in trade packages like from expiring contracts and these heavy protected picks to some people want like their teams to or want certain teams like the Bucks uh, to go all in. I believe it's going to be a situation where the Clippers have to do something else to ensure they're getting the right return and the right return being like a pick and prospect. And that would be maybe including Lou Williams in the deal, uh, his expiring contract and his bird rights. He's been sensational this year. And maybe you take back a bad deal just to incentivize that because if you move Jordan, you're committing to a rebuild. You can go forward with Blake Griffin. You could look at moving him over the summer when he's healthy and his value has been restored. That would be the route I think they should go. Um, I'm curious to know what you think of this package, though, is the one that I've I've kind of come up with, is the Clippers take Jan Mahinmi, Kelly Oubre Jr., Jason Smith, and a lottery-protected first from the Wizards, who will then receive DeAndre Jordan and Lou Williams. Is that like a deal that you could get on board with? Man, that's, yeah, well, that's, that's tough. That's like exactly the kind of deal you see, you know, in different iterations for different teams. I'm so hesitant to take Mahinmi's money, given, you know, I just at this stage of his career, he, he's a foul magnet. He's had a lot of health issues. I like getting Ubre in the pick, um, but if I'm the Clippers and I have been so rebuild averse for so long, I think I want more. So I don't. I, I don't know. I, I think I probably would consider that if I am the Wizards, just because I'd love to get off of Mahinmi's money. Um, and you know, your pick's not going to be that great. That it, it's it's tough. One of the things that I like. It just theoretically, um, with with the Jordan move, you know the Bucks. I keep mentioning the Bucks. Um, the Bucks have Jabari Parker, 
and I think I'm not the biggest Parker fan just because of his defensive limitations. Um, but I think offensively, he's a potential, you know, really, really, really good option. Like if he's your second option, I think your offense can potentially be good. Um, but I don't think he's someone the Bucks are going to want to extend on a hundred million dollar deal. And I believe reports indicated a couple months ago that that's kind of what Parker expects. So just getting off of Parker, um, I think, which is crazy to say about a number two pick, um, is something that I would be looking at if I'm Milwaukee and if I'm the Clippers, I might, I might be pretty psyched about potentially bringing Parker in and, and would even be okay with being the team that extends him. Um, so the money's not going to work there. You're going to have to mess around with, with some other stuff from, from the Bucks end. But that's something I'd look for. And, and when I'm, whenever I'm looking around at packages, Parker is just one of those guys that keeps coming up because I don't necessarily think he's got a future in Milwaukee just because of the injury issue and, and, and the financial ramifications of, of maxing this guy out, potentially, um, and what that does to, your, to your, your, your balance sheets going forward. Yeah, that, that's super interesting. I don't. The, I mean, you get young if you're the Clippers with Parker, but he's had two ACL injuries, and then all of a sudden, if if you do pay, I mean, you're gonna if you're trading DeAndre Jordan for him, you're presumably gonna pay him this summer. Right. Now, all of a sudden, you have about seventy five million committed to Blake Griffin, Danilo Gallinari, and Jabari Parker, which is probably the worst defensive front line in the NBA at that point. Uh, both Gallinari and Griffin were a little bit more switchable than I expected them to be this year, but I don't. I don't really know how that works. The, the Bucks, like you said, though, seem like that interesting fit. I'm just, what are they giving up for him? And Parker, I don't, I agree that I don't think Parker's a good fit for the Bucks roster necessarily anymore at his price point. I, I think they could use that other shot creator. And if you stagger him and let him run the second units instead of Chris Middleton when Attentacumpo and Bledsoe are on the bench, like that's super interesting. But it comes back to what you said. That's not worth $20 million a year. And no. they, they have to worry about, luxury tax concerns this isn't a team that's going to pay the tax they went to great lengths to make sure that they weren't going to pay the luxury tax this year anyway so unless they're getting off like Delavadova's money or or Toledovich's money or Henson's money they, they probably have to move two of those guys for it to make sense for them to keep Jordan and Parker long term uh and that's just such an iffy situation so I don't I don't know that there's the right package out there and as always it's it's going to be something that we just don't that wasn't forecasted publicly like that Eric Bledsoe trade did like did Greg Monroe and like one of the most bizarrely protected first round picks uh in in trade history like that wasn't a package that was necessarily being proposed so I I don't I honestly don't know what to expect on the return I do and I don't want to put you too hard on the spot but if you had to guess is DeAndre Jordan on the Clippers after the trade deadline and if not where will he be yeah two things on that um for the longest time I sort of was betting against Jordan moving because it's just such a non Clippers thing. Um, the way they committed to Blake Griffin, the way they brought in Gallinari, they, they just have been so hesitant. And you know, if you're Steve Ballmer and you spent billions of dollars on this team, you're probably not keen on, on a rebuild. Um, but they've just been so hesitant to, to pull that trigger. So I was that way for a long time, but I just think that the, the, the sort of smoke signals are starting to get clearer that like, this is a real thing and potentially Jordan's going to move. And I do think it's going to be the Bucks if I had to pick, um, just because of the agent connection and because Milwaukee has already shown us that with the Bledsoe trade, they're kind of serious about let's see what we can do right now. Um, and and I and getting Jordan would be a let's see what we can do right now move. And and, and finally we'll put a bow on the Jordan thing. The, the fit isn't actually that good because if you look through the numbers, 
the Bucks have a bunch of defensive problems, and they've been much belabored uh, by by a lot of smart analysts insofar as they trap too much, they give up too many shots at the rim, they give up too many corner threes. But what's interesting is they're actually a good rim-defending team in terms of the, the, the field goal percentage they allow there. So mm-hmm. if Jordan, in theory, is the guy that's going to help protect the rim for you, um, you don't actually need that. You need a scheme and guys that can execute it that does not just leave these wide-open attacking lanes with an advantage. It's a perimeter defense issue. So if, if you're going to go get Jordan to like finish lobs uh, and or block shots, you really don't need that. Um, but I don't know if the Bucks. Uh, I don't have a lot of faith that the Bucks are going to like look at it in that kind of a calculated fashion. I think based on what they did with Bledsoe, they're going to say, uh, this is a guy that theoretically fills a need and we're into it. And, and I think that's the way it's going to go. I actually kind of I, I real I shouldn't say actually like I'm shocked I agree with you on a lot of things but that's a great point they could they could get away with targeting like just a lower level guy you know what yeah what what would the Knicks want for Kyle O'Quinn who if you need a stationary rim protector like that's not um, a, a bad guy to have uh, I don't know of any other names that are going to spring to mind I guess that are at least uh, healthy but you could go out like there are there's there's so many big men in the league right now that you would have to think that they could get a cheaper option and not have to worry about um, sort of pe- like paying them this summer like they're going to have to with uh, DeAndre Jordan. So I-, I think he'll ultimately end up with the Bucks if he is moved. And I would go with the Wizards if I didn't think that they're going to still try and pull like some – it'll take a lot, but if depending on where they land in the playoffs, I wouldn't be surprised to see them like start trying to lop off salary over the summer and make a run at DeMarcus Cousins, and, th- and they'll kind of want to try and – um, remain flexible for that. Of course, if you can get rid of Jan Mahinmi in the process, then that might actually aid their flexibility. But I'm, I'm with you uh, on the Bucks there, who have actually been, since they let, the last thing I'll add on them, they allowed 18 three-pointers, made three-pointers against the Jazz. Uh, I believe, I can't remember the date, but it was in like mid-November. They've been really good at just preventing three-pointers overall, which I guess increases the importance of having that good rim protector because they're still allowing a ton of shots at the rim. But again, if that's your defense to funnel guys like toward the mid-range or, or closer to the rim, you don't need DeAndre Jordan to make that work. And we're not talking about either one of the worst defensive rebounding teams in the league necessarily. So like they, they, they'll they be fine there. You can get away with John Henson and then like if Thon Maker was a little bit beefier, maybe he wouldn't even be in this predicament right now. Well, yeah, that, and you've got Giannis at center potentially. He's been playing a few more minutes, you know, more and more lately at the five. And I think, you know, in terms of a team identity, I'd be looking real hard at that if I'm the Bucks, and and less so at at DeAndre. Um, I'm gonna go with a team for my pick. And I like it. I'm gonna I'm gonna roll with the Charlotte Hornets, who mm. I've I've been kind of infatuated with this season on like a negative scale because they're just they're not good. They're, you know, I got hammered because I gave them a D in our report card grades on Twitter. And yes, I I know they've been injured, but they are just so Kemba Walker dependent. Like it's, it's disgusting almost would be the word. And you don't have, you know, Nicholas Batum, yes, dealing with this elbow injury. He hasn't been good when Kemba Walker isn't on the floor in, in basically more than two years. And if you look at like the Charlotte's offensive ratings, when you have their, uh, primary ball handlers on the floor without Kemba Walker, it kind of unfolds like this. Batum, 28th ranked offensive rating, uh, the equivalent of what it would be in the league. Mike Ricardo-Williams is 30th by a mod- mile. Jeremy Lamb, 30th by a mile. And Malik Monk, 30th by a couple light years. 
they just don't have that secondary creator. And I, I'm, my eyes on them because I actually think they should probably lean towards tanking at this point. If you're going to be more than 24 points per 100 possessions worse with Kemba Walker off the court than you are with him, like your season's done. You already have the third worst record in the Eastern Conference right now. Uh, you have to beat out two of the Knicks, Heat, and Pistons, it looks like, to get a playoff spot if we pencil the Sixers and up into a postseason seed, which I think is fine. Yeah, I, I think the Knicks will regress, uh, but the Heat, they, they're probably going to hang around right where they are. The Pistons got off to a hard st- hot start before kind of belly flopping right now. You're just not there, and now you're locked into this core because Marvin Williams is on the books. Um, you have Michael K. Gilchrist, reasonable contract, but, but on the books. Nicholas Batum is probably one of the worst deals in the NBA right now. Yes, Dwight Howard comes off the ledger after next season, but that's when Kemba Walker is going to be a free agent. You're going to have to pay him near max money. I'm personally listening to offers on everyone and anyone, and that includes Kemba Walker. Like if the Nuggets come calling with a package built around a first and Jamal Murray uh, and salary filler and, and maybe just an extra prospect, you know, are they are they going to include? You don't really, you probably don't want Emmanuel Mudiay in that situation. But do you look at Malik Beasley, Juan Hernan Gomez? Do you like Will Barton, who's going to be a free agent this summer? Uh, do you like any of their other young bigs like Trey, Trey Lyles? Can you get them to accept one of your probably bad deals? Batum is really the only bad contract on the books right now, but there is. There's not a lot of great value in paying market-level money for every player on the roster, and I think that the Heat are a perfect example of this. Like, they don't have—Tyler Johnson's contract isn't great. He's going to be paid more than Goran Dragic next year, but they have these guys on market-level contracts. There's just too mar- too many of them. You're supposed to get value in free agency, and I don't think the Hornets have done a good enough job doing that. But I'm also watching them, finally, because they are a team uh, that— ha- they're almost like the Clippers of the East, sort of, just not as good. They've gone to great lengths to remain mediocre, trading for Dwight Howard, um, keeping this core intact. In uh, so I could still see them doing that. Maybe they double down on this roster and try and get another playmaker at the trade deadline. What is George Hill going to cost to get from the Kings if you're willing to match the money there? Um, will there be any other sellers who are going to kind of cut off a playmaker leading into the, to the deadline. Nothing really springs to mind at this point. Dragic would be a super interesting name for them to go all in on, but we know the Heat aren't going to hit the teardown button. Uh, so I, I don't know what they're going to do, and that's why I'm so intrigued. They're not known for making these huge midseason splashes, but they have a couple interesting assets. They can trade a pick. You have a Malik Monk. Jeremy Lamb is probably their second-best trade asset right now. And just knowing how much they want to make the playoffs, will they go all in on this season? Or could kind of looking at the future and seeing that, oh, hey, we're probably going to win less than 35 games, does that compel them to really look themselves in the mirror and start to think about a rebuild? Yeah, real quick on the Hornets, because uh, you raise a lot of interesting points before I get to, to another team that I'm I'm looking at. You know, I, I feel like this happened last year, too. And, and, I, and, and I think it's a symptom of clinging to their, when they were, what, like 46 and 36 two years ago, or something, or 48 and 34. Yeah, they were just randomly um, top 10 in offense and defense. It was, yeah. That was an incredible year. And so what's interesting now, I mean, the roster is not that different, other than being older and Dwight being there. Um, but, but their peripherals, they've got these weird stats that you look at and you think, oh, well, that's like, they, so for example, nobody turns the ball over less than the Hornets do. And, and that can be a symptom of a pretty pedestrian offense that, that can mean a lot of things. But I think we would agree that not turning the ball over ever is good. 
um, they're really good on the defensive boards, and that's often an indicator of of, of a team that you know that's a quality thing to have. Um, it means you probably don't run a ton, but it also means that you're not giving up second shots. So there's there's these little indicators that still give me like a little bit of faith in Charlotte, and I think maybe that's unrealistic to cling to that. Um, but I, I agree that they're in this weird spot where their ownership group, like the Clippers, has just been unwilling to do anything but try to compete right now. And so that makes them an odd uh, trade partner for any team. It makes it makes the types of packages they might be willing to accept strange. It makes their direction difficult to see doing being anything other than what it's been, which is like let's just you know hunker down and we'll be well coached and we'll we'll execute. You know, I just it's hard for me to see them doing anything um, that they should do. Which I agree, they should really be looking at trying to get off of some of these contracts. Um, but that, that's a tough spot, especially since I'm sure they think they're a playoff team still. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see what they do. But, but for me, sort of a, a similar situation, I guess, is, is the one the Grizzlies are facing. Um, and, and <laughs> like, you know, talk about they're, – they're committed. They are all in. I mean, they've got Gasol, Conley, and Parsons making a billion dollars. Um, I might and, be on the low end of your projection. Yeah, too. a little low. And if you're doing like dollar per minute played, at least as far as Conley and Parsons <laughs> have been for since they signed their deals, it's 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 like a zillion. Um, I just think that this is a team that clearly, clearly, the answer is you have to move your big contract guys, and that's Gasol, and that and that's also Conley, um, who are both like Gasol seems to have slipped a little bit this year, um, and Conley has had has currently presently a real serious for in terms of if i'm trading for him i'm concerned about it achilles issue um and their contracts are huge but you've got to try to move these guys and i just it's so hard to do that um one because we don't know who's going to be in charge of making decisions with this team because of the ownership situation Mm -hmm. um anytime soon so you don't know if if you're being told that we're not trading gasol you don't know if that's still going to be true when somebody else possibly is in charge um, and, and, and the whole small market thing, we can't be bad because people just won't come and they'll move us to Seattle or whatever. Their arena deal, I think is pretty, pretty sturdy in Memphis, but there's still a small market sort of pathos, uh, operating there. So for me, I mean, the thing you've got to try first is moving Gasol. Um, and that sounds crazy because this guy was just, I love Mark Gasol. I just don't think that it makes sense for him to be where he is now. Um, so I'm looking at, a team like Portland, like if if the Blazers say want to throw out, you know, Yusuf Nurkic and and the Grizzlies think they can re-sign him and maybe a pick and and somebody to make the money right, hopefully not Evan Turner, but something <laughs> like that. Um, I'm listening for sure if if I'm Memphis because the F, to me you have to think about it this way. Uh, clearly, this roster, uh, you know, if everybody's healthy, are they a 45 win team? Okay, cool. Are they 50? Maybe at the absolute top end. You're not sniffing a conference final or even a semifinal, I don't think, with with this roster playing optimally, and that that means performance and health. So, if your two choices are okay, we keep Gasol and Conley and Parsons at their current rates, and we just have to hit grand slams on all of the marginal signings, all the minimum guys, uh, or whatever going forward. We just have to knock every one of those out of the park, and then maybe we're like a 53 win team, or you just get rid of these two cornerstones and you free yourself up and you don't have to hit bombs on all of your moves. You've got flexibility. You can take a crack at some young guys. You can build a little more deliberately 
to me, that second approach just makes more sense. Um, but it's definitely one Memphis has not embraced in the past. So like a lot of teams we're going to talk about, it's almost like they need this sort of triumph over this stubbornness and this adherence to, to present success if we're going to really get anything done. I, I don't think anyone on their roster should be genuinely untouchable, but I actually lean toward them uh, holding on to Gasol and Conley for now. I mean, one with me with Conley with his Achilles injury, including this year he's owed $126 million. You're probably going to need to include a sweetener to get him off or just accept nothing in return for his services, which I that's not a great option for them either because you're not – uh, like you're not a free agent destination, so what are you going to do if you manage to carve out cap space? You're not going to get off Chandler Parsons' money either. But where I really fall with this, you're bad enough now, and you have a built-in excuse to kind of take it easy and slow play Cunley's return, and then you can go the Phoenix Suns route from last year and give these guys an early vacation sometime after the All-Star break. Now you're going into the summer probably with a top five, top seven pick, whom you get to pair with Marc Gasol and Mike Conley to sell an instant turnaround. My focus for them would be more on kind of the smaller scale guys. Like, see, Tyreek Evans is a perfect example. He doesn't have bird rights after this year. You signed him to the one-year biannual exception money. Can you move him? Is there a contending team that's going to give up, like, a low-end first-round pick for him or a low-end prospect for him to kind of beef up their their playoff rotation? Jamichael Green's going to be eligible to be traded on January 15th, not December, so it kind of doesn't run perfectly in theme with this podcast, but who cares? Like, what can you get for him? Like, he's he's a nice small ball five on, on a different team. Uh, maybe even James Ennis can get you a, a second-round pick. And, and those would be the types of moves I'm looking at. And I think I'm just... I'm just kind of just building off the point that you made about the Grizzlies not wanting to rebuild. They already fired David Fisdale because they they basically don't want to rebuild. Like they chose Gasol's side in that, even if he is you know being honest when he says he didn't play a direct role in sure. Fisdale's ouster. So if if that's your aim, then yeah, tank this season, but do it without trading your stars, and then see what you have next year. Conley should be healthier and easier to be moved. Gasol. You know, he'll have a player option for 2019, 2020, which probably limits your return. It'll be his age 34 season, but I don't think you're looking at much less for him than you are now when he hasn't been that great defensively on this roster, when he's been frustrated with the team, and it, it kind of seems like he wants out. So teams are going to play that card. So I would just kind of be looking at like those smaller level uh, deals for them, and I just don't. Like, I don't necessarily know what those look like is the problem because aside from, let's say, Gasol, they don't really have these great trade assets. But a trade that I kind of kicked around, uh, Andy and I were talking about, I'm not sure if it was last night or the night before, but if you're Memphis, would you take Antti Zizek, Amon Shumpert, Cleveland's 2018 first-round pick, and maybe a 2020 second-rounder be of Miami, maybe, and then you send Cleveland to Michael Green and Tyreek Evans? Am I is is the Cleveland pick the Brooklyn pick? No, it's uh the Cleveland's own pick. Just because you're well, not, you can't. My whole thing yeah, is you're like not Tyreek keeping... Evans. You're not keeping him. He, you can't right. afford him. Right. And Jamichael Green. Could you imagine uh like defensive lineups in Cleveland with Jamichael Green at the five, Jay Crowder uh, and LeBron playing at at the three and the four, and you can throw out. Uh, basically whoever you want at point guard or shooting guard, or maybe even throw Tristan Thompson at the five in that scenario and throw whoever you want out at point guard. Like that's a switchable team that could kind of do some damage. I would think, or at least hang tougher with the Warriors was kind of my main thought. Like Tyreek Evans would even be perfect too. You know, Tyreek Evans, LeBron Crowder, 
and Jermichael Green at the five. Like that's a very switchable four man combination. Yeah, I think if I'm Cleveland, I'm thinking pretty hard about that. If I if I'm the Grizzlies, I'm not sure I'm confident enough in my ability to get anything out of a late first round pick based on my track record. That like I almost don't want another opportunity to fail. If You'd I'm rather just it. go like the Dylan Brooks route and just kind of pour <laughs> yeah. over these like I, they've drafted so badly. There's a I, I'll get it wrong, but basically the idea is that uh, Mike Conley is the only Memphis draftee in the last however many years, decade or so, to sign a second contract with the team. They just like they just miss on everybody. It's so it's it's unbelievable. So I mean, throw that in, bad. Throw, Throw that in my face, suggesting a rebuild, which theoretically is based on the draft. I mean, I don't know if Memphis can do that. Um, one one thing though, your points. I take your point on, you know, this idea of tearing it down and clearing space is not uh, sort of the best idea for everybody, especially if you're not a free agent destination, because your cap space is not worth what everyone else's is. And Memphis, for sure, that applies. But but my like sort of macro thought on the Grizzlies is what what are you really doing? If you're keeping Gasol and Conley, what what is what is the goal? And it would seem to me to be the goal is to be competitive. And and we talk about the treadmill all the time. You know, you're on. It'd still be a treadmill thing, albeit you know maybe one that wins a playoff series if they get that lottery pick and things go right and 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 whatever. But my my default on that is always just you know y- your window if it existed has closed. Um, aim a little higher. Like, let's try. Let's try to do something more than win forty-five games. Um, and maybe that's unrealistic given the market. But if I'm a fan, I'm just. I don't know. I I've seen. You see how teams get built, and and usually it does not include hanging on to high-priced vets way past their primes. Um, so so that's kind of my macro thought on it. But it is. It's not as easy as all that. Like as you alluded to, you can't just say, "Well, I'll dump these guys." get picks in space and then we'll be right back in there in three years because you know Memphis just doesn't have it as easy as a lot of other teams that might be able to employ that that kind of approach but you're right that doing that if you can do it successfully that takes some of the guesswork out of the equation we know the draft is just this giant crapshoot but you're talking about how bad the Grizzlies have been at developing these non-second round or non-unsigned guys if you're drafting in the top five it just becomes a little bit easier because that order is basically set and you're not killed as much Unless right. you have a run like the Magic, where you just can't develop or keep anybody uh, from right. drafting highly and, and whiffing there. I would be completely on board with kind of your, your first explanation about, yes, we should shop Conley and Gasol. If there was just, I can't come up with a team that would even take Conley for nothing right now. And I love Mike Conley, but $126 million is yeah. a lot of money. And the point guard position is still kind of deep. Like there, there. I don't know if there's a lot of young talent there right now. Like it seems like the when we were talking about all these up and comers, like they've now just become the older guard. When you look at Stephen Curry and Damian Lillard and, and Russell Westbrook, but I'm just I I can't even come up with a team that's like here take this contract that's expiring or this contract that expires in 2019, but and puts together an offer for him. I just I don't even know what team would necessarily do that I you know so that's I think that's why I'm most hesitant if you could tell me that you could do that for Conley and then you can really steer into bottoming out over the next two years the Grizzlies should absolutely stomach that and just kind of drive up their lottery odds take two top uh and picks hopefully assuming that their 2019 pick wouldn't be lost to the uh Celtics but that that might be the best route for them to go and that, you know that's another that that pick protection that's another thing that complicates matters for them is like you don't want to if you're all right tanking this season whatever but you can't 
you can't be in the middle next year because then you get really screwed. It's I believe it's right. What is it? Top seven protection. So is that is that what it is? Yeah. So it's top eight protection in 2019, top six in 2020, and then unprotected in 21, uh, 2021. Mm-hmm. That was an awful trade, by the way. That yeah, was, that was not, really not good. Um, I'm going to move on to, I guess it could be construed as a team, but it's, it's a player for me, and it's Paul George. Um, mm. If you're the Thunder, uh, they're, they're, I think the Thunder are going to figure it out. There are just signs to me that I think it can work. I'm probably oversimplifying it, but two things that stand out is, one, they have a top 10 net rating in victories, and two... They're second in defensive efficiency on the year. We have a team now then with Carmelo Anthony, Paul George, and Russell Westbrook whose biggest problem is offense, which just feels stupid to say because there's so much offensive talent there, even if you think Carmelo Anthony is overrated, which on many levels he is. It just seems like it's going to take Billy Donovan to instill some sort of concrete pecking order, and maybe he's not the guy to do that, but, you know, Mello, Paul George, and Russell Westbrook, those guys shouldn't be averaging fewer or more screen assists than they did last year when they're all playing together. Mello and Paul George shouldn't be getting a smaller share of their offense than they did last year on cuts when they're playing alongside each other and Russell Westbrook. Uh, there should be more spot-up threes from from George and Mello, even though I think those those are up in terms of the share that it accounts for their offense. Uh, I, I just feel like those are signs that they can and will figure things out that being said, we're coming up on 2018, and you're in the Western Conference. If you're not going to contend for a 4, 5, or 6 seed, there's no point in being in the playoffs when you look at what the Warriors and the Rockets are doing. There's just there's none. You're not, you're not giving yourself a chance in those series. The, the Thunder, you know, give deeper into the playoffs if they figure things out. That Patrick Patterson at center lineup— that might be able to cause some problems for both Houston and Golden State. But if you're in the 7th or 8th seed, it's presumably because you haven't figured things out. So I, I want to see. I, I know they understood the risk when they traded Oladipo, who despite what he's doing in Indiana, been fantastic. Not sure it's totally sustainable because he's been lights out on pull-up threes and in isolation. But they wanted to get off his money. It, I think it's a trade you still make, even knowing what you know about Oladipo right now, because the worst thing that happens is you lose Paul George, and now you've gotten off of Oladipo's money for the next three years, and he was never the perfect fit to Westbrook anyway, especially when they weren't going to let him lead the second unit. Still, knowing that this is what you were prepared for, why not kind of see what you could get for him at the trade deadline? If Cleveland is still kind of humming along, and they really think that LeBron is going to stay or that they have a chance against the Warriors, and then also kind of understanding that, wow, the Nets might have like a bottom 10 record as opposed to a bottom 3 or a bottom 5 record. Are they willing to roll the dice and give the Nets pickup for Paul George with salary filler? Uh, the Thunder could even include Patrick Patterson in that scenario to, to kind of sweeten the pot since Cleveland has some of the contracts to match. I, I'm, I'm looking at those scenarios. I'm looking at other places. Uh, we don't necessarily know what springs to mind, but maybe the Lakers are willing to take the guesswork out of the equation and try and give up one of their prospects with salary filler for Paul George now. But we really won't know, but I'm very interested to see how the Thunder will handle things if we get to, I'm going to say January, let's say 15th, when the rest of the free agents will be available to be traded and, and everyone's basically able to be moved. Uh, if they're not firmly inside the playoff picture, and I'm talking within striking distance of the sixth seed by then, I, I honestly wonder if Sam Presti will look at getting off George. 
Well, so George is George to me is I guess he's right up there with Demarcus Cousins and maybe above him as one of those guys that no he's above him in terms of the uncertainty if if you're trading for him because unlike say DeAndre Jordan well he's probably going to opt out or Cousins who's going to be a free agent like George is going to be a free agent and has made it really clear through various channels where he wants to be right on his next contract so so that's a huge co- complicating factor to me um, if you're going to trade for George and he, like you were saying for Gasol, it's just, how do you put a pa- or Conley? How do you put a package together? Like what makes sense? I have no idea what I would be willing to give up for Paul George. Um, because I think he's a great player. He's in a situation that is not optimal for him right now, because I don't know if playing with Russell Westbrook is optimal for like anybody. I think <laughs> that's kind of my takeaway right now. Um, I, I, I don't want to go down this road cause it's such a hot take thing. Um, but like, I just, I just don't think. I think all the evidence is in now. We've changed a bunch of variables in Oklahoma City, and the only constant is Russell Westbrook. And the offense is just always trash to watch. And guys not named Kevin Durant just don't seem to hit their potential when they play with him because he stands around when he doesn't have the ball and he doesn't try on defense. And he's just, it's just, it's. I think we, I think the jury is in on on sort of what Russell Westbrook does to your team's potential, um, at least right now. Um, but so if, if I'm the Thunder, and I want to ask you this, you say you think they're going to figure it out. Um, what does figure it out mean for you? Is that getting to like being in striking distance of the sixth seed? Because you know if, that, if the answer is yes, then figuring it out for them would constitute a massive disappointment based on where they thought they should be and where they probably ought to be, just based on the raw talent on the team. So I'm definitely looking at moving Paul George because I think as currently constructed, even if there's a figuring it out that happens, um, they are not on Houston's level, Golden State's level. Maybe they could, you know, just with athleticism and whatever, take care of the Spurs in a series. But but if if, if your shot was we're going to get Paul George, we're going to get Melo, we're going to get Patterson, we're going to be possibly the best team equipped to defend the Warriors in a series, um, and it just has not panned out, and you're on this ticking clock with Paul George, I'm for sure trying to, to, to see what I can get for him. But to circle back, I just I have no idea if I'm Cleveland what I would give up for him. And if I'm the Lakers, I don't think I'm giving anything up because I'm pretty sure I'm getting him for nothing. Right. Um, so it's, it's really tough. It's, it's one of – I'm really interested in the Cousins situation too. Um, but it's one of the most sort of perplexing – scenarios from every from all sides from all angles that we're going to be dealing with right up to the deadline i think yeah it's you know for the if for the six seed with me it was just by mid-january like because that's the time where the trade deadline's coming up and you kind of have to shit or get off the pot and decide what you're yeah. going to do and if you're within striking distance then you can talk yourself into moving up i full disclosure still have them getting to the four seed and i there's probably a level of irrational belief in there but it's just – we're talking about a team that has the second-best defense right now, and they play Carmelo Anthony heavy minutes. And, yes, Carmelo Anthony has been vacillating between a low-usage role and rampant inefficiency. And, yes, he can be overrated, but, like, Carmelo Anthony isn't going to be completely worthless on offense the entire year. I think there's something to be said, especially the points you made with Westbrook, that they probably went one ball-dominant star too many uh, you might have been able to go with just Mello or just George, and maybe things are a little bit easier to figure out. The numbers certainly say that Russell Westbrook and Anthony are not good when they right. play without Paul George, but I just think logistically 
it would have been easier to work in one of them as opposed to two of them. I'm just I'm still there because there has to be a way for them to figure it out on the offensive end. They've made concerted efforts for long stretches to try and move the ball a little bit more, and I, they'll get there. And I don't know necessarily what that means on offense. I do still think that means they could get to the four seed overall. Maybe they only have a you know a top thirteen offense by the end of the season. If you're gonna have a really good defense, that's fine. And what also helps is I don't trust the Timberwolves. You know, you talked about their defense before. They're seven and six in games where neither side is trailing or leading by more than three points entering the final three minutes, and they're actually like a demonstrative minus in those minutes, despite their above five hundred record. Like they're being outscored by more than nineteen points per one hundred possessions in those situations. I don't. I don't trust them. The offense is built, uh, despite being among the top seven in points scored per 100 possessions, their shot profile is absolutely awful. Terrible. Yeah. The Nuggets, they're dealing with injuries to both Jokic and Millsap right now, and Jokic has been better than he was last season on defense, but without Millsap for the next couple months, your defense isn't going to be good. The Pelicans are right where they're going to be around 500 all year. The Blazers are weird because their defense feels – more unsustainable than not. I don't think they'll regress to like the bottom five or anything, but they're probably going to end up being maybe top 10 or just outside the top 10. And yet the offense has yet to go through like a hot stretch where it's good. They're going to hover around 500. The jazz are probably going to be right in that same line as well. The Clippers and the the Grizzlies are just done. And that's going to leave a window for me for the thunder. And when you have that much talent, you know, I, I, I think they'll, they'll get there, but it's, it's certainly a tenuous situation, and no matter what, I, I think I'm with you. Like, you explore what you can get for Paul George. I don't know what you can get for him, though. And the, the bigger issue is, especially as you pointed out about the Lakers probably just wanting to roll the dice in free agency, all of a sudden then, if the Lakers aren't involved in trade talks, it kind of creates a market of one, and that would be Cleveland, because teams are going to take the Lakers' distance from the situation as a signal that they're confident they're going to get Paul George. And then you had the whole tampering issue before the season. So that, so that's going to drive down his value. But one of the deals I proposed in an article, and it represents a gamble for Cleveland, but I do think there is something to be said about going for it now when you have LeBron James playing, I might add, at career levels in terms yeah. of his efficiency. And I, I would even say at points for his regular season defense. Like he's just trying harder for certain games there. But if you're Cleveland and you can get Paul George and the struggling Patrick Patterson, who I think, you know, he had knee surgery o- over the offseason, he'll be fine. And you give up Channing Fry, Chetty Osmond, Shumpert, and the Nets pick, which is probably going to be, I-, I would say at best, a top seven pick. Uh, that's a deal that I'd be really interested in. Again, you have to be pretty confident that Paul George is coming back, and maybe that's why the deal ultimately doesn't get done. And then you have to ask yourself, are we really giving up the Nets pick when who who else are they getting for him? And this represents more than they gave up for him, just that Nets pick essentially alone. And Chetty Osmond has developed this nice little uh, weirdo chemistry with LeBron James. So I, I honestly don't know what it looks like. And to, to pose another question, and before and then after that, I'll, I'll definitely want to know what your last player or team you're watching is. Is there another squad aside from Cleveland or the Lakers that you could even see rolling the dice on a Paul George deal? No. I, so this is the thing. I'm, I, I was I was literally going to ask you if you're the Thunder and Cleveland just says Brooklyn pick straight up. Obviously, you can't do that because you got to make the money work. But if I'm the Thunder, I'm like, yep, I'm doing it for Paul George. Well, that's basically I, I, I would, what Fry and Shumpert and the Nets pick yeah. would be. Like you, I, if you don't want Patterson, then yeah, just go Fry and Shumpert and the Nets pick for George. 
And, and so the calculus is really interesting on that because Cleveland's Cleveland's priorities are different than almost anybody's. Where giving up that pick gets you George, and you're just you don't know what James is going to do, but you're thinking we got Paul George and LeBron on the same floor together. Um, we can beat anybody. I think would be their thought, and if that means we only get to see that happen for a couple months, we're, it's worth it. Um, so I think, I think the Thunder should do that. And, and I think the Cavs would probably do it too. Um, but I just don't know what, yeah, it's so hard. I don't know who else is willing to sort of rent Paul George without the possibility, without the option to buy basically, you know, because you have to assume he's not going to stay with you. Um, unless you're, you max him out and you're just the perfect situation. I, I just, it's hard for me to imagine that happening. Um, so with, with him, I don't know. Cleveland or bust, I guess. Cleveland or bust or LA in next summer. That's that's kind of where I'm at on that one. Um, the thing, so so my last team, um, and it is a team that I'm looking at, um, is a team that's already made a trade, and it was one that uh, I guess we all saw coming, sort of, for like two years, and that's the Sixers because they moved a little open for. That has no bearing on anything um, other than the fact that I, I mean, talk about selling low. Um, but what they got was Trevor Booker, and um, which signals to me that the Sixers think uh, that, you know, look, we need a veteran piece because this, you know, things are fleeting in the NBA and we're pretty good right now and we think we could get better and we're going to compete. Um, and my take on it is um, I respect the idea that, you know, with Embiid's health, uh, he could be done for his career tomorrow. Um, you've got to, and Ben Simmons being way better than anybody thought he would be this quickly. Um, I do respect the idea of let's, hey, not, let's not, you know, sell out and totally go for it, but let's start adding some pieces and see how good we can be in the short term. I get that. Um, but to me, the idea that um, the Sixers sort of, are at that stage right now where that's the smart thing to do is one that I am not completely sold on. Um, just because, you know, you've got a nice core, a really nice core. That's a massive understatement. Um, but I just don't think this is the time. I think the Sixers are one of the few teams that can sort of, if you're willing to gamble on Embiid's health, wait it out. Mm -hmm. You know, if that's a year or two, if that's some more organic development, if that's more drafting, if that's, just, just more patience, which is like the hardest thing in the world to preach to Sixers fans. But um, after what they went through, I just am not sold that the Sixers need to be buyers right now. Um, and maybe the Okafor trade was an anomaly in that like they just had to move him because their leverage was gone and they weren't going to keep him. But if the Booker acquisition is an indicator that they're going to be adding salary and, and age and talent, um, I'm a little worried about that. I would be a little concerned that that's the route they're going. I don't know. What do you think? Do you think the Sixers are are in a position where it makes sense for them to to be thinking that way? I do actually, because I, if you play it right, like if you're not going to take on money beyond sure. 2019, like I'm just I'm all for it. Because for them this summer, it and that might be the bigger issue for them this summer. It should be LeBron or bust. Like they should. If you can't get him, and let's face it, they probably can't. Although that would be like fantastic um you you shouldn't be giving out like long term like it might be intriguing to go after avery bradley or contavious caldwell pope even but unless you're getting them for bargains or they're doing the jj reddick where you have that one year overpay it's just not worth it you need to keep like your cap sheet fairly open but i i would be a fan of them looking at just the trade deadline maybe you take a flyer on like a veteran wing well, one of the 
to the trades that or some version of it because now Julio Okafor is gone, so that butchers what I was talking about. But you know, why not give the Mavericks Bayless and Amir Johnson for Wesley Matthews, who uh, his net rating has been terrible in Dallas, but it kind of feels like it has an Avery Bradley esque. Uh, tinge to it because he's sometimes guard, he's often guarding these really tough assignments and you're not on the floor necessarily uh, unless those players are are logging minutes as well so your ratings sure. are just going to be skewed he can shoot the three ball and picture him coming off the bench for the Sixers yes you have to pay him uh, it's like 18.6 million or 18.5 million next year but that's fine you're still going to have a fairly clear path to 15 plus million dollars in room and if you still want to carve out max contract space for lebron james you can do that super easily as well like you use your own first round pick to get a team to absorb matthews's contract and you're and you're essentially there like that's like that's the path and you've then still assuming the lakers pick conveys to philly you've still kept that so you can justify trading your own mid-end kind of first rounder. And if you don't want to give up the first rounder, someone might take him with Justin Anderson or someone might take him with TLC. And that would be something I'd be interested in them doing because even though you're taking on money for next season, it's not beyond 2019. But if you start to see them, and this would be, let's let's loop this into the Paul George discussion because they were kind of uh, very loosely tethered to him. It was like a year or two ago. You don't want to see them go all in and mortgage the future for that type of a rental. But Jaleel Okafor was worthless. Booker might be able to help you now, and he's expiring after this year. Like that, that's an okay trade to make. It was it was almost weird to see them give up a second round pick to get off Jaleel Okafor and Nick Stauskas. They must really like Booker. I'm not sure what that says about Amir Johnson, <laughs> but. I just I would be fine with them doing something like that. I don't want to see them. Uh, to your point, though, this shouldn't be a situation where you're going all in on someone who has money um, on their deal beyond next season. And it certainly shouldn't be a situation where you view yourself as a Cleveland level buyer, or maybe even a Milwaukee level buyer, where you might be willing to take on a rental and give up future assets for that. Yeah, which is interesting because you know the Sixers might just be better than the Bucks by the end of the year, and but but that doesn't mean, like you say, they should be buyers. I just think, I guess, part of my thinking on that is like I really want this to work for the Sixers. I want the process. I feel like the process has been justified, but I really want it to work for them because I like what they did. I thought it was smart. I want things to go well, and I'm just a sort of like viscerally afraid that that something post process, some sort of like haste to get to that next level, could undo it, um, and I would just hate to see that. So I guess I'm I'm going a little I'm thinking emotionally because I just don't want this thing to get messed up. Um, so I'm skeptical or sort of fearful of anything that uh, feels like a rush. I, I, I don't want them to think they're ready before they're ready because I really want them to be a title contender in a few years. And, and I could see that happening with just a little bit more sort of deliberation. I'm, I'm just totally with you there on that one. And uh, I'll move on to, it's going to be a two-teamer, and there's actually a third team I want to talk about, but they're going to be in the mailbag we're about to hit quickly after this. Uh, the Knicks and Magic, I'm very curious to watch ahead of the trade deadline because those two, even more so than the Clippers or the Grizzlies or the Kings or the Bulls, they need to start just holding a fire sale more than any other squads in the NBA. You just look at where they're positioned to be, and I'm using cleaning the glasses expected win record 
uh, right now because Ben Falk is amazing with this stuff. The Magic are supposed to end up about 30 and 52, and the Knicks are currently on pace to wind up somewhere around 40 and 42. You don't want to be there. Not only in the Knicks' case especially, like that's not good enough to get you necessarily in the Eastern Conference playoffs, and if it is, you've earned yourself a first-round date with Boston and Cleveland. And for them, uh, they're not going to be able realistically to add – an impact free agent over the next two years. They're not going to have real cap space this year if Cantor opts in, which he will, if Ron Baker opts in, which he will, <laughs> and Kylo <laughs> Quinn opts in, which I guess it could go either way. Uh, and if you want to keep Doug McDermott, who, FYI, has been a fantastic cutter and is really trying on defense this year, that that's going to eat into your flexibility. So now let's jump ahead to 2019. The outlook is better, but not by much. If Porzingis hasn't signed his max extension by then, the Knicks will have to carry his $17.1 million RFA hold. And then all of a sudden you're paying more than $73 million to Hardaway, him, just his cap hold, Courtney Lee, Neil Aquina, Noah, and then Lance Thomas's $1 million guarantee. You account for their next two draft picks, plus possibly keeping Thomas, plus possibly keeping McDermott, and you've all of a sudden blown past $90 million, and you're not looking at any flexibility until 2020, real flexibility anyway, unless you get, you know, include sweeteners to get off contracts or you stretch Noah, both of which would be disasters in my opinion. So yeah. you're them, drum up the value of the draft pick. You're going to have the opportunity to trade Courtney Lee. Teams already want him, according to ESPN.com, Ian Begley. I think teams will look at Lance Thomas as kind of a small ball defensive four. His contract isn't too bad, especially with that non-guarantee. O'Quinn, uh, you could probably get a second rounder for him, hopefully, or maybe a low-end prospect. And maybe Willie Hernan Gomez. I don't want to move him, but he's buried on the bench. Maybe you attach him to some combination of these guys, and that helps you get a better first-round pick or prospect overall. And then for the Magic, they just need to be looking at moving everybody who isn't Jonathan Isaac. And for me, that includes Aaron Gordon. I want to preface this by saying, I'm not saying you move Aaron Gordon, but you don't have a cornerstone. He's the closest thing you have to one, and he's only looked the part for a year. Part of that's on the magic for how they've used him, but are you going to give him max or near max money based off that one year? You've already saddled yourself with bad deals or for Fournier and Biombo. Adding another one is just that's going to be detrimental. And then if you keep Alfred Payton too, so you don't have a ton of cap flexibility as it is, it's important for you to make sure that you're getting in on you know the top five or the top seven of the draft. Yes, yes, you've been there routinely uh, since Dwight Howard left, and you haven't really hit on anyone. Aaron Gordon would be the lone example, and maybe Oladipo, but you include him in the in that trade for Abaka, and it took him to get moved from Oklahoma City to be the player that he is now. So it's just. Uh, for those teams, like, and I don't know that either of them will ultimately do it, but they, they both need to be heavy sellers to me, and I'm interested to see if either of them wake up and, and smell the coffee. If I had to pick, I would say the Magic are more likely than the Knicks because the the Knicks are hovering above 500 right now, and they have a top five net rating in crunch time, which is just, like, that's not sustainable. They're, they're one of the three worst road teams in the league right now. I, they should be reading the signs. But they promised Courtney Lee, according to Newsday's ally and zone, before the season started that they weren't going to move him just because they signed Tim Hardaway. So I don't know that they have the gall to really steer into this tank. But I'm not sure the Magic do either. Yeah, it's weird. Uh, just quickly, I mean, the Knicks, it, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I can sort of see a way out for the Knicks more easily than for Orlando. And I only say that because of what you mentioned. The Knicks have these guys like Hernan Gomez that they could attach, that somebody's going to want. 
and you could make and, and depending on how much you're willing to attach to bad money, you can get off some bad money. Um, the magic are just a weird setup where they've got all these guys that like, I don't know if they're someone you would attach or someone that you would have to attach something to, to get rid of. Like, what is Alfred Payton? You know, what, like what, where does he fall on that spectrum? Which is he? Um, Aaron Gordon is, is so it speaks to like their weird player development issues. Um, I think a lot of the reason he's better this year is he worked with this independent shooting coach. Um, so that doesn't necessarily indicate the magic are going to do anything with whatever talent they might get. You know, Hazonia never turned into anything. Um, Peyton is roughly the same player. They just don't get guys better. And so I don't know how much, how easy it's going to be for them to, develop assets to become sweeteners or develop guys to become good players so you can dump your bad i just i see an easier way out for the knicks which is like unfathomable because they there's never an easy way out for the knicks because they just dig holes so effectively um real quick before we do mailbag stuff um do the pelicans trade demarcus cousins this year no i just you kind of touched upon this before it seems like having his bird rights just matters a whole lot more than having paul george's bird rights uh, like I don't like, because maybe it's because he missed out on that huge uh, yeah. contract from the Kings. So like he and George didn't make an All NBA team, so he you know wasn't going to qualify for that unless he did it this year. Like that was in basically in front of Cousins. He was supposed to sign it, and then they just got rid of him. With the way the market has been for bigs, given his reputation, where a lot of people we always hear these rumors. You know, some people think Paul George is overrated, but you don't hear teams or rumors from teams that they don't want Paul George on their team. You'll hear that about Demarcus Cousins, who is arguably a top fifteen player. So I think having his bird rights matters, and if you have two top fifteen guys, one of whom's one healthy a top five guy in Davis, you keep them, and he probably has more trade value to you after he signs his next contract. And since they're still kind of in the playoff hunt, I, I would expect them to keep them. Is that where you're at, or do you think they're going to move them? Well, I'm I'm sort of as as uh, anti cousins as you'll find, just because of the things that you mentioned. I just I think what he does to your locker room and what he does sort of by osmosis to the rest of your team on the court is just this unquantifiable negative that. Uh, to me outweighs his undeniable top 15 talent, maybe top 10, just if we're talking just talent. Um, but, and so, so in terms of like long-term team construction from, from, you know, viewed from 10,000 feet, he's not someone I want on my team um, mm-hmm. for the money that it will cost. But if you're the Pelicans, um, you got him for a song and you are not going, he's, that's another team that free agent money is not what it is for everyone else. So, Letting him walk for nothing is terrifying, um, but I think it's worth the risk to hold on to him uh, just because if you can keep him, it's probably better than you're going to do with anybody else. I don't know what that makes your ceiling. Probably not much even with Davis, but but yeah, I think they'll hold on to him um, just because, you know, it's it's just, it seems like it's going to be difficult to recoup value given his situation. And uh, super, super quick. So let's – the Pelicans keep Cousins. They max him out. Let's jump ahead a year, maybe even two to around this time. Can you still can you still trade him on that contract? That's a good question. I, I don't know if he's the kind of guy – he got in really good shape this year for him, um, but you see him still not making it up and down the court a lot. I'm not sure he's someone that's going to age really well in terms of his conditioning. Um, but if he's anywhere close to this productive – um, and maybe the center market thins out and this this just total dearth of cap space gets a little bit alleviated and more teams have some money and, and space to take on a big number like he's going to have. Maybe it's a little easier. But, I mean, then again, maybe it's a situation where he, 
is is sort of exposed as the guy that's holding this Pelicans team back um, a little bit. I don't know. I, I think I would say that if in two years, I think in two years you're probably more likely to get something good than you are right now. But that's not saying much because he's he would be a rental for for just about anybody right now. And at the very least, I think whatever you're going to get right now, you could get in two years on that same level. Because I mean, we're, yeah, I think only, that's he's going to be at that point. He'll be 29. It'll be his age 29 season, and he'll have two or three years left on his deal. So, and then at that point, you're probably looking at moving Anthony Davis too. So it's just this yeah. huge tear down at once. It might align kind of perfectly. If there was last one, I promise, <laughs> if there was a team <laughs> that you would want to take a shot on him right now, if they were going to move him, who would it be? Oh man, that's so tough. It's got to be a team that has a really clearly established hierarchy um, where there's someone that in theory would keep him in line. And so that, gets you into the Clevelands potentially. Um, I, Washington, and we've talked before, you mentioned Washington. That's interesting to me. I don't know if that's the kind of stable situation that would get the most out of him. Um, but that's really tough. That's another reason maybe why they won't trade him because just the right team, unless you're talking the Cavs, um, if they don't go for Jordan, for example, m- might be a place where where it would work for him. I guess my package for DeAndre Jordan with the Wizards would probably work nicely for cousins too i don't know i wouldn't want to give up that much for him when you have to pay him this this offseason but if you if you can convince the pelicans to take on Mahimi's money which seems uh counterintuitive another center I guess. yeah so that's but you're gonna have to give up marcin gortat as part of that deal anyway if they're getting Ubre and, and another pick like I, maybe you're willing to give up mark Markeith morris in that deal too I, I don't know it seems like they'd have to give up too much maybe setaransky's emergence in recent weeks kind of makes it easier for them I would be interested, depending on what the price tag is, and this is ultimately why the Pelicans, I don't think, would move him, but you could just throw Valanchunas into packages for Cousins and you attach, like, one of their youngsters. Like, you know, Ananobi might seem too good to a lot of people, and knowing that you could lose Cousins after this year, that's probably something that they won't want to do, but they would be a team that they're they're so good as they are right now, and an Ibaka Cousins front court would be... Uh, ridiculously intriguing to me, and, and maybe they're willing to kind of because Valanciunas' contract might not be an asset to them. I, well, it's not an asset to them. No, it's it? not an asset. So if you're if you can do it while keeping Ananobi, I, I'm certainly considering it. But then it's you know who do you attach to Valanciunas? Are the Pelicans uh, going to take a, a 2019 first rounder? And you know I, I don't even know like Pirtle or that's just another big that they don't need uh, Powell is weird because he signed the extension so like to make the salaries work there. So that that's probably ultimately why they keep Cousins too, though, is even if you think he might leave, you're probably better off rolling the dice than whatever you're going to be saddled with after the fact. Yeah, I think so. And, and if, if I'm if I'm New Orleans and you're not putting Ananobi in that deal, we're not talking. Like, so I just... Good. I just, uh, yeah, forget it. He's just, uh, I, some people have been like a little bit critical of his pick and roll defense, which I, I mean, he's a rookie, but he's like, he's good in isolation. He really helps like that, that Abaka of Alan Chuda's front court is like one of the most awkward, like least versatile defensive ones in the NBA. I don't think Abaka is that good of a switcher anymore. Never really has been. And he just helps like the starting lineups defense has kind of stabilized over the past couple of weeks. Uh, in large part because of him, and he he fits what they're trying to do. Over ninety yep. percent of his shot attempts come inside three feet or from beyond the three point line, like, and he doesn't need the ball. He never really puts it on the floor. He's not going to create the pick and roll. Like that's fine. That's fine. Um, mailbag time for the people mailbag. who made it this far. I should have included this one in the Hornet section because the first one is from Isaac Adams 
at Alaric1224. That is at A-L-A-R-I-C-1224. Is Kemba realistically on the trading block? And would the Utah Jazz give up one or two firsts and Rubio for Kemba? The first Um, question almost seems, you know, is he on the trade block as of right now? No. No, I don't think so. I I think he should be. Like, I think it should be a situation where if it's not now, you know, a a few weeks from now that the Hornets should be listening. Maybe. I mean, if you're going to give me, what was it, two firsts? Uh, Um, Two firsts and Rubio. I don't really want Rubio at this point. <laughs> I mean, um, his money comes off after next year, though. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, that's that's doable. The thing is, like Walker's contract is pretty good, it's and if you're talking, right yeah. yeah, if you're talking teardown, I'm looking elsewhere on the Hornets first and moving Walker. You know, I don't think I'd do that, even though it's so hard to get first round picks of any kind. I think I'd rather have Walker and just do anything possible to to mess with the rest of the roster before I go trading Walker for picks. Um, yeah, it has but to, yeah, you, I, you probably, that's tough. You probably want like nah, you can't say an established pro- prospect is an oxymoron, but you probably want someone on a rookie deal who's shown that they can do some serious work. I don't think the Jazz are getting in that conversation without including Donovan Mitchell, who they should not yeah. include, and. Rodney Hood would be interesting, but with him approaching restricted free agency and being injured, that's not going to be. The Hornets would probably rather have the pick. Yeah, nope, don't want Rodney Hood. I think the pick's a better asset, but for me it wouldn't be enough, I don't think. No, I mean, you can attach him to the two first. Maybe that makes it better, but then you're still faced with, hey, if you're going to pay Rodney Hood, you might as well just pay Kevin Walker in 2019. Right. Um, the next question comes via Von Gotti, who is at King underscore DVB. That is at K-I-I-N-G underscore D is in Dan, V, B is in boy. Once Markel Fultz comes back, can we, and I'm assuming he means the Sixers, be a title <laughs> contender this year? And who would you compare Markel Fultz's game to? He reminds me a lot of James Harden at Washington. P.S. Did you see, did you see that clutch ass performance by Joel Embiid last night? <laughs> Jeez, hey, first of all, is this the first uh, tweeted question you've had from a member of the Sixers? Just based on this, the way this is phrased. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe I don't. Know. <laughs> um, I, I wish I wish he hadn't said James Harden because that has been my go-to for him. Just the way he gets into space and the way he's like, you know, he's physically strong. Um, he's got the weird herky jerky stuff. Um, I would have said Harden. So I don't know. Do you have another guy that you like uh, as a comp for him from in the like six seconds of NBA basketball we've seen? No, I, I don't think there's like a. I feel like what? So like, picture Dwayne Wade meeting James Harden, and I think that right. if you want me to put a unique spin on it, that's what I could see. Yeah, I gotta say, I don't think Fultz is like. I, of course, we shouldn't even have to say this, but I don't think Fultz is someone we should just be writing off. No, I mean, I'm the red. I, the red flags are super real to me. Let's like write the off whole, the Sixers as medical staff in front office. Like, I, yeah, <laughs> right, right. I, I just there's a lot of going on there. Um, I, I I think I'm not sure if I'd have taken him first. Still, but I mean, I mean come let on, alone give up that. Uh, yeah, I, <laughs> that Kings or Lakers pick. Right. Yeah, that's, uh, that's I would do that over for sure. But but uh, I think he's still going to be someone who can play, uh, even if he's not going to be like a forty percent three point shooter like so many people thought. Um, I, you know, I, I don't know I, the Harden. He's never going to be James Harden. I feel confident saying that. But he could be someone that can definitely help. Um, I don't think the Sixers will be contenders with him back. They have All right, been, question. <laughs> they have been destroying opponents uh, when Covington, Embiid, Redick, and Ben Simmons are on the floor, and you add Markel Fultz to that. Like, yes, it's super interesting, but he's going to need time to develop. Uh, this is a team, though, that I think could 
all, as long as it evades finishing in seventh or eighth, like it, it could do some damage in the Eastern Conference playoff picture. I yep. don't think you, by far and away, favor anyone other than Cleveland over them in, in a seven-game series. Yes, you would roll with the Celtics, or yes, you'd roll with the Raptors, but those are teams that the Sixers can compete with. And they're like, they're disarmingly deep now. Because Booker's a good acquisition for them. Uh, we saw them play. I'm not a fan of the cosmetic makeup of these lineups where you have Ben Simmons, Embiid, and then Rich on Holmes on the floor at the same time. Or maybe you have Sarek instead of Simmons. But it, it was kind of working uh, during yeah. their victory over the Timberwolves. So, you know, I think they'll make noise. I, I don't think they're a contender, though. No, real quick. Fultz's return. I mean, Fultz is a rookie, so he's he's bad. Like, that's, I mean, rookies are bad. Unless you're just totally exceptional, and I don't have reason to believe or that he's Sixers exceptional case, get the first year or two off of your career and then yeah or you don't do anything which is maybe a net game because you're not out there being bad but the Sixers live and die with Embiid all the I mean you could talk about the two and three man combos and, and whatever but um they dominate when he plays and they're like a 20 win team when he's not out there so um if they're going to be a contender it'll only be because he's healthy and playing a lot I mean that's uh, you, you can really simplify their outlook that way that yeah the, the the minutes that Ben Simmons plays without him uh are are super interesting to watch from here on out because that's going to be important to the Sixers' future both immediately and long term I think when he plays with Redick, Simmons and Redick, without Embiid or Covington, the Sixers have basically played opponents to a statistical stalemate, which is probably an encouraging sign, and Fultz yeah. will probably help that last year. The the one quick note, you know what might be the biggest basketball tragedy of this year is if the Sixers kind of continue their trend of how it plays out with these rookies who might come back and they're not really providing updates, they really just ruined Markel Fultz's 2018-2019 Rookie of the Year campaign by playing four <laughs> games this year. Great point. Great point. They've robbed him of it. Their training staff ruined it. He was going to win it next year. Um, this question comes from, and I'm going to apologize in advance for uh, mispronouncing this, but I'm, his name, I'm assuming, is Robert Zigovius uh, or Zigovius at Robert, S-E-G-O-V-I-A-S. MVP so far, James Harden or LeBron James? It's Harden for me. Um, and, you know, like it's – and and that's crazy because LeBron, like we talked about, is having one of the best seasons of his career, at least offensively. He's never shot it better. Um, I just think that Harden is having a historical offensive season. Um, he, he's shooting a million threes. His his effective field goal percentage is up. Um, he is just just a model of efficiency. He's dominating in isolation, which is like, oh, you can't play iso ball anymore. Well, unless you're James Harden, because he's killing it. Um, just in one-on-one stuff. Yeah, he, it, it's him for me, and it would probably be that way if the Rockets were like the third seed in the West, if he had these numbers. I don't, you know, I think I think the team win thing is important, but he's just been so good. It's, it's not really that close, honestly, to me. I, I think it's close just because LeBron has been amazing, but I do think it, like the anecdotal context, even though LeBron was moving forward without Kyrie Irving, like you spent that, I think it was 14 games without Chris Paul, and the Rockets just, were absolutely dominant still and now he's come back and and they're still dominant and he's basically doing everything he did last year just with better efficiency and he's been the runner-up the past two years I, I think all that context helps and he's the pick for me because you lose a guy like Chris Paul he's worlds better than Kyrie Irving like I'm, yep. you know so even now like Kyrie Irving's been great this season played better defense blah 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 blah. but Chris Paul is better than Kyrie Irving and you lost him and you didn't have a Kevin Love like to help you so it's just and i'm not saying it's impressive that lebron was able to lead the cavaliers out of their malaise but the rockets haven't missed a beat at all this year and i think that's going to matter 
Uh, this next question comes from Eric Wright. That is at A-R-I-C-W-R-I-G-H-T. Everyone is talking about this rookie class, but who is having the best sophomore year so far in the NBA? I want to just tinker with this question a bit. It's Joel Embiid, but I, I think yeah. we should go to the next sophomore because uh, Embiid is basically a fourth-year sophomore. God, that's tough. You yeah, someone, well, well, unless you pick someone other than Embiid, if, if we were going, you know, tooth and nails. I'm so bad at this. I, like, I don't remember draft classes. Who are my rookies last year? Um, I'll, so I'll throw some names out. Give me some names. I'll tell you. I, I doubt I'm going to take anyone over Embiid, even with the asterisk there. Uh, there's Brandon Ingram, of course, who I'm sure you remember. There's Demantis Bonus, <laughs> Jalen Brown, Yoko Pirtle, Malcolm Brogdon, Jamal Murray, Dario Sarge. Thomas Sadoransky is a sophomore. Uh, Siakam. All right, you can stop. No, there's Buddy nobody Heald. better. No, there's nobody. But, uh, Heald is shooting the lights out, by the way. Um, but but no, I mean, it's clearly Embiid. Ingram has been a lot better. Um, I think there were points last year where it was it was reasonable to wonder, um, man, like, is this guy, I, how is he going to score, even with all these tools, just because he couldn't shoot it? Um, he's been a lot better, and he sort of has that edge and that like want the ball type of thing at the I mean, end he just of games. Gets that everywhere he wants, like he's missing yeah. a lot still, but he I just yeah. feel like he gets everywhere that he wants to go. And that's a huge skill. I mean that that's something that isn't talked about a lot, but just that's what makes Ben Simmons great is he gets anywhere he wants to go, even though he can't shoot. Um, so that that's big for Ingram too. Um, but yeah, it's it's Embiid. Embiid's one of the best players in the league when he's on the floor. Right. Um, so it's there's nobody else. The, the, when just you reading those names off, that's a pretty weak class, honestly. Um, wow, the Demantis Sabonis slander there is off the chart. <laughs> He's the most surprising rookie. I'll give I'll give him that. Or surprising sophomore. Who, I didn't think he was a rotation guy last year. Would you go with? And this would be my pick for the non MB division. I think it would be Jalen Brown. Like he's yeah. just he's shooting the three better. Um, he's it's, some of his. I'm not like a fan of his post ups necessarily, and his drives just seem reckless at points. But his defensive assignments aren't easy, and there's there's again a lot to say about the Celtics being able to throw out so many like sized wings. But mm-hmm. yeah, he's gonna switch on to point guard still, and like he's chasing around shooting guards sometimes when he's really a small forward because Jason Tatum shouldn't be doing it a lot. Uh, that's you know I I don't know that that's just impressive to me, and I think he's been um really good this year. Yeah, that's a good pick. I I I, I give him a little shade. I, I think Brown definitely is is worthy there. The only thing I'd say is that th- there are a couple kinds of players that are really hard to judge. Um, and one is the is a guy that's on a terrible team that's getting numbers, um, especially a young player, um, just by default. And and the other is a guy that's on a really good functional team, um, like right. Brown, because you wonder how much of that is just being in a perfect situation and being well coached and and and, and whatever. Um, but yeah, that's yeah. I think probably Brown. I, I like Brown a little better than Ingram, just just uh, objectively. Um, even though Ingram, I feel like is going to be the guy that scores all the points and and maybe gets a little more notice. I think I think Jalen Brown's going to have the higher basketball IQ, and that's probably been already apparent. But just like Brandon Ingram's just inherently a better creator, and he'll he'll have comparable value on defense, if not more, because he's lankier and I, I think he's taller. Right, he's six nine and Brown six seven. So, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, I would still go with him as a better player, but I, I actually that that was a pretty good point. I think Jalen Brown was one of the smartest players in the league. It wasn't the knock on him. GMs were were worried about uh, him being too smart or something like that. Like yeah, he's kind of weird. Like he's really uh, when you hear him interviewed, um, he doesn't like check all of the athlete interview boxes because he act, he's 
you know, you don't want to say thoughtful, but he's he's definitely considering the question instead of just glazing over. And he gives you a lot of answers. He's like Iguodala that way, where he's almost messing with you sometimes because he's just so bored by the whole process because he's he's smart enough to be bored by it. So I could see how that might turn turn some GMs off. Um, the next question is not a question, and it literally says not a question, just Oladipo misspelled with a bunch of explanation points, and that comes via at O-L-E-D-J-A-Y. Yeah, pull up, pull up threes, exclamation point. Yeah. Exclamation point. Um, MVP Dennis Smith at Clark W underscore the eighth. And that is at Clark W underscore V three consecutive eyes. With how good Barrera has been this year, do you think the Mavs could move him and one other player to a contending team for a first round pick at the deadline? No. I mean, I just you don't get first round picks for nothing, and not that he's nothing, and and another player is nothing. Like if that player is uh, Dennis Smith, yeah, you probably get a first round pick back for those two guys. And if it's Harrison Barnes, you probably get a first round pick maybe. Um, but I kind of think Berea has just figured out like the best way to be good in Rick Carlisle's system. He's been there forever. He still has awesome chemistry with Dirk. Um, has he ever been and, good outside Dallas anyway? No, I don't think so. I, I, I mean, I just think, I just think that works. So, I mean, first round pick, man, that's, you can't just get a first for, for anything. And they don't necessarily have anyone expendable. Like you're not going to get a first by pairing him with Wesley Matthews. Um, I guess if like, I, I guess if the jazz were just truly desperate for shot creation and still wanted to make sure that they were going to get in the playoffs this year and you could give, uh, I, I don't even want to say get off Alec Burks' money because Alec Burks <laughs> has been good. Like yeah. maybe you could go something like Favors, Burks, like filler and, and like a heavily protected first for Barrera and Barnes would be just interesting. I don't think the Jazz would do it, but like that's the that's probably their best chance. Would you you would have to attach Harrison Barnes to that and bank on a team believing uh his combo forward defense, which can be okay, and then just his I, it just seems like I don't want to call it empty offense, but he's yet to have like a true profound impact on an offensive team. You, you would have to bet on them making a gamble, which maybe some team does because he's still 25, but uh, at 20 plus million dollars a year, I just don't see it happening. Yeah. Barnes is and isn't the right guy for the jazz because he is the kind of four that I would want next to Rudy Gobert, but he is a, he, he can do a lot of things. He can do way more things than I ever thought he would be able to do when he played for the Warriors. But he is not a guy that intuitively reads the floor and plays well when the ball is moving a lot and he has to make a bunch of decisions. And that's basically the Jazz's offense. So and I'm I'm not sure. I don't, I don't want to be this guy. So, like, he's owed – he's too uh, – I'm going to be this guy, and I want to be this guy, actually. I <laughs> he's owed two years and 40, uh, $49.2 million after this year. But I want to know, you know, you're talking about him at the four. I do think he'd probably be an okay fit. Does he really move the needle for you much more than a healthy Joe Johnson at the four? Oh, no, I don't think so, especially right. when you need at the end of games when you need. I mean, Barnes has been a way better isolation player. That's sort of what he does now. But, I mean, he's, he's ISO Joe. He's got the nickname. you got to defer to the nickname. It's not ISO Harrison. So, I mean, I feel like that answers itself. Yep, there it is. Um, <laughs> the next one comes from Karen Elliott. That's at C-H-A-R-R-O-N. Elliott. Do the Knicks somehow make the playoffs? Also, what star would you like to see join Przingis in New York? I'm going to cut you off and say the Knicks better not make the playoffs. And the star <laughs> I would like to see in New York is whatever player is drafted with the fourth overall pick this year. I love it. Yeah. 
Well, what about Kemba Walker? Can we make Kemba Walker get to the Knicks? Would you I be would okay love with that? It, but I would not give up Frank Nealakina for him. I'm not saying Frank Nealakina is going to be better. It's just, you know, I I wouldn't do it. Like your cost you're control, team. all that stuff. Yeah. Right. I mean, then all, in 2019, you're going to have Porzingis's uh, massive deal kicking in and pay Kemba Walker and still have Tim Hardaway Jr. and Joakim Noah on the books. Like, you know, maybe not. Um, yeah. No, I'm, I like that draft. Figure it out. <laughs> um, next question comes from Mario at Yah Y A A B O I L Mario. It's ya boy. Oh, it's your boy. Your boy Mario. That is the handle. Y A A B O I I M A R I O. I don't know why those eyes like coalesced and looked like an L to me. His is simple: Marquise, Chris, or Dragon Bender. Oh, pass. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think so. I'll, you go first. Uh, I actually have a stronger take on this than Marquis Chris than looks Macy. a little frisky since Devin Booker went st- went down. But I always envisioned him as a small ball five, and he's just—I don't think he's going to have the rim protecting chops for it. And his face up game really needs to come along, and he needs to be able to do basically anything on the offensive end. I'm still Team Bender. I'm, that's probably irrational, but I'm I'm just still Team Bender. Yeah, I wish you'd said Chris because I'm going Bender too, and it's just it's mainly about like I'm not sure what Bender's going to be. He has these spurts where he'll show you some things, um, like off the dribble, and he'll make a nice skip pass somewhere, and you'll think, okay, at that size, if a guy can make a play on the move, there's something. Um, and he goes through spurts where he plays hard too. Um, Chris is just someone that, uh, I am not convinced he is ever going to be, um, at the level of basketball IQ necessary to do anything for a good team. Um, he just, he floats out there. Um, his effort comes and goes. He just does not think the game at the level that you need a lottery pick to do it, um, to have any confidence he's going to do much. So I think Bender is, Bender's actually pretty comfortably the pick for me, but I'm not super confident in either of them you know, being a starting quality guy on a good team ever. I would love to see Bender outside Phoenix. He would. Oh yeah. I'd love to see it. Yeah. Same, you know, it's the same thing. It's this situation where guys just don't develop. And so you don't know if it's them or if it's the, if it's the system or what, how to apportion the blame for that. It's tough. Um, the next question comes from Kevin Oliver at three, nine, five underscore Oliver is Andrew Wiggins, a good NBA player. His NBA math TPA makes him look below average. I'm going to let you run with this because I have a feeling you're going to have some good take. Oh man, like a good NBA player? What does that mean? I have to like I have to play semantics on it. Is um, he an above? Is he an above re- like replacement player value right now? I, I don't know. I don't know what the numbers say. I would always defer to them. I can tell you that for me, um, I, I like to frame it this way: um, If Wiggins is, let's do it in terms of a team hierarchy. If Wiggins is your best player, are you a good team? No. If he's your second best player, are you a good team? No. If he's your third best player, are you a good team? And I'm talking like 50 wins. Um, maybe, uh, because that's kind of what we're dealing with right now with the this Wolves team. Um, so, I mean, he's definitely not as good as his contract says he is or as the sort of NBA community at large would think he is. Um, but, yeah, I, you know, he's the number one overall pick. He's got a huge deal. And you might win 50 games if he's your third best player and everything goes right. So if that's good, um, then yes. But to me, uh, he's definitely not someone I would have maxed out. I mean, not even close. Uh, so, so I guess that's my convoluted answer. I don't have a, I don't have a yes or no on, on is he good. Well, we're going to find out because he's been basically the Wolves' fourth best player this year. And if they don't win 50 <laughs> games, that's probably a red flag. We um, have to move him down one slot if, that, if that's how um, it goes. Do you want to know the most Andrew Wiggins stat ever? Yes, please. 
He is shooting 35.5% on pull-up threes and 27.8% on catch-and-shoot threes. That is a very Andrew Wiggins stat. Like very that, Andrew that's Wiggins. Just, yes, he's taken more, like uh, more than twice as many catch-and-shoot threes, but those are supposed to be inherently easier. Yeah, I don't know, man. I, he's he's tough. Uh, I, I I just uh, the the you know the thing is like the potential is still there because if the defensive switch flips, then then you got something because he's still a very flawed offensive player with the tunnel vision and and the shot profile. Um, but if you could just coax like league average defense from a guy who physically should be uh, like a top ten percent wing defender, um, then you really got then then you can win fifty games if he's your number two guy. Um, but, but I just, it's, they haven't seen the signs yet. And even with Tibbs there, if you're not going to play defense with Tibbs, um, maybe because he's running you into the ground, so it's not all your fault, but I'm not sure that light's going to go on. Um, we are getting close to the end here. I'm going to combine two because they kind of step on each other's toes. Um, Isaac Adams came at us again, asking if you're an NBA GM looking for a center, would you give up more assets for Deandre knowing he'll be more expensive in FA or fewer assets for Derek favors, knowing he'll be less expensive Then Tyler Kenny at Tyler underscore K E N N E Y 11 X. Do you think the jazz have what it takes to trade for Kemba? We answer that also Derek favors to the bucks trade possibilities would be fun. Uh, we kind of even touched on like the it wasn't it was indirectly this Derek Favors topic, but if I'm the Bucks specifically or any other team that's kind of just looking for a midseason boon, yeah, I'd consider just taking the cheap flyer on Favors than going all in Andre Andre Jordan based on where I'm at right now. Yeah, I think I agree with that. Um, I think it's pretty clear in Utah that he's extraneous. If you believe Gobert is going to stay healthy, I mean he's he should be a backup. They should play with one big. And that's just not worth that much to the Jazz, especially if I don't think they're going to re-sign him. So moving him makes a lot of sense. And he would be a really good alternative to someone like Jordan. Um, he wouldn't cost you nearly as much, I wouldn't think. No, I just don't know what, um, for the Bucks specifically, I don't know what, what are the Jazz taking back for him? Like they're, They don't have a first-round pick to deal, nor are they doing that. Are you going, if you're the Jazz, are you going to take an injured Toledovich for favors? I don't know why you'd do that unless you're like, unless you really want a second round pick. You don't want Della Vadova. You don't want John Henson. I, I don't know that there's like a, like, unless you're just super high on Rashad, Rashad Vaughn, so you're willing to take Toledovich and Rashad Vaughn, who's like expiring now. I don't, I don't, I don't know if there's a workable deal there just because the Utah, unlike Los Angeles, probably isn't going to be willing to take on long term salary. I wonder if you could do something like just if you could if you're the Bucks, would you take favors and like Rodney Hood, just assuming you're trying to win this year and you're not going to spend a bunch of money for like and and maybe even the Jazz throw in a pick and you get back Tony Snell or like someone, you know, on a reasonable deal that you could cost control and help you shoot. I don't know I, if, if you look at those guys on Utah as as assets, they are just not going to keep. So they're basically giving away nothing. Um, that might be something I would be thinking about if I were the Jazz. Um, but the Jazz kind of want to win, you know, they want to compete now too. So that's, it's maybe not a good fit. Yeah. I mean, maybe there's something like if you include DJ Wilson, like in your scenario too, like going to the Jazz and that you're getting hood and favors back and you're giving up to Ledovich. So like you're essentially, yes, you're giving up on Wilson, but you have McCurr, you have, you know, Giannis Antetokounmpo who figures to play center, Henson too, and now you're getting favors. Like and you want like the flyers on hood and and favors who you get their bird rights so there's probably value to them in that uh, maybe yeah. but like you said the Jazz want to win and D J Wilson doesn't necessarily he'd no. be, you know he'd be interesting as a backup five or you could throw him out as like this just lanky four alongside Gobert they might be 
you know, jump ahead like two years or something. They could be a terrifying defensive combo, but that I don't know if that uh, necessarily lines with their timeline. And, you know, I don't necessarily know who would be the Celtics would be interesting for favors because it seems like they could just use one more guy with size. But they have they're interesting because they they have all these assets. But Jason Tatum is their fourth highest paid player. They don't have salary matching fodder like you're not right. Edward Horford and Irving should be untouchable. So uh, it's just you can't even say that they should go after him. Um, and after that, like it gets, you know, look at some of like the really bad defensive rebounding teams in the league. Like most of them are just bad teams or, you know, the Pacers aren't going to want Derek Favors. Um, the, the Cavaliers might like him as a backup five, but what are they incentivizing you with while giving you most likely Amon Shumpert for Derek Favors? So Right, yeah, you're not going to trade Thompson for, for Favors, I wouldn't think, so... No, he's he's a tough guy to move. So he, yeah, he, he is. He's a good player, but uh, and I think he's probably better off the five now. And Quinn Snyder should continue or start again, yanking him early. Uh, you know, Thon McCurring. Uh, yeah, right. Favors in the starting lineup. Um, is this our last one? And did I lose it? Uh, I might have. Oh no, here we go. Okay, so nope, I did lose it. Oh no, here we are. Will wow, another Bucks question. We've got so we've got surprisingly robust Bucks following here on Parker <laughs> with Knox. Um, Santa Govia at uh, – oh, no, wrong one. Paul Jeffrey at Mac, A-N-I-C, 32. Me- mechanic, I guess, 32. M-A-C-K-A-N-I-C, 32. You could tell that I'm getting old, but I can't uh, figure it out. <laughs> Will Delhi be traded before, before the deadline? Oh, what? I just want Is to this... tell Paul that I love him for asking this question. <laughs> Is this being rumored? I mean, I, he's like a salary filler guy, right? And I guess he's sort of extraneous with with Bledsoe and Brogdon. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm gonna say no. How about that? I'm gonna say no. Because I'm gonna say I have no, no too. Idea. Because I think I think Jason Kidd might be the only head coach who would play him right now. Maybe so. I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I like. So if you're trading Della Vadova, what does he make? Ten. Yeah, he's at 12? nine point nine this year. Yeah, nine point six. So, excuse me. So what do you? I mean, so the I don't know. The Bucks seem hell bent on getting a big. Um, you're not getting DeAndre Jordan for Della Vadova unless you're attaching a million things with them. Yeah, he's. I mean, his number. That's a nice number. I will say that. Like the ten million dollar mark is one of those that like can make a lot of things work if you're trying to match salary. Um, but I don't think anyone is kicking down the door to get him um, as like the principal piece in a deal. Um. It would have to be a situation. Like, it would have to be part of a DeAndre Jordan deal. It would like you think like so. Would the Clippers do Jabari Parker, DJ Wilson, Delhi, and Toledovich for DeAndre and Lou Williams? Whoa! Look at you putting. You know what? If I'm getting Parker, I don't know. I'd think about it. I'd think about it, especially if just if it gets the the possibility of having to pay DeAndre on his next deal off of my like plate of decisions. I would think about it. I would – I think I'd think about it too. I think I kind of trend – because, yeah, you know what? Now you're taking – Toledovich is when he's healthy, his deal – he was shooting well this year. He has $10.5 million he's owed next season. Then he comes off. Delhi's deal is tough to stomach. Uh, it becomes redundant too next season when you have Austin Rivers, Teodosic, and Patrick Beverly on your books. But, yeah. You know, Patrick Beverly is like kind of another guy that I find interesting – uh, if you're looking at trades, because he's if the Clippers are going to tear it down, he's not guaranteed for next year, and I know he's not supposed to play this season, so maybe you're better off waiting until 
next year when he's healthy to trade him. But like, I would take a flyer on him if I were a team. Like for next year, like he could. He's probably not going to be that all star like pest, uh, or excuse me, the guy who can pester these all star point guards. Uh, just because micro fracture surgery is is no joke. Like meniscus is one thing, but like micro fracture surgery is fairly serious. Uh, and he did tweet though that he was trying to come back early because he's Wolverine or something. Right. Uh, well, that's the thing too. These guys with the with the partial guarantees and the non guarantees are valuable two ways. I mean, in terms of taking a flyer, but if you're a team that wants to cut cut money, um, you can take him with basically the intention of of not keeping him, of just paying him off uh, whatever the portion of his guarantee is the the following season. So he's got some appeal. Um, I just yeah, I, I I was thinking that Delhi would be a decent fit with with the Clippers because. You know, they just don't have any creators. Not that he's great at that, but Teodosic being back helps. But like Austin Rivers isn't making anybody better. Griffin's down. Um, but but then if you're giving up Jordan, you're clearly not trying to win this year. So I don't know if you want Delavadova back in that package. It would, uh, yeah. So you could probably get value on Teodosic and Beverly down the line, or maybe you just, you know, maybe it's just the, I, 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 I don't, and you have to pay Parker. It would be, it would be more interesting to me for the Bucks because. If you really and again, I just threw this together while we were talking, so this isn't like I, I was super nuanced about this. But so you're getting off Toledovich's ten point five next year. You're getting off Delavadova is making nine point six again next year. So we're at about twenty one point one million dollars there. You've gotten rid of Jabari Parker's cap hold, uh, which was slated to sit at twenty point three million dollars. So that's forty one. Point two million in money you've gotten off for expiring contracts. So you could technically renounce DeAndre Jordan and Lou Williams, and all of a sudden you're just close to in play for whatever free agent that you want. That, yeah, it's interesting. That would be super. Like that would be super interesting. Of course, you don't. You know, I'm assuming you want. You probably even want Lou Williams because you could use another shot creator. Um, but you definitely, if you're going to trade for Jordan, you probably want to keep him, especially if you're giving up Parker and Wilson. But if you thought you could go out there and you could just make some waves in free agency, I mean, that that would be a way to get off money. <laughs> yeah, right. And it's sort of exchanging two guys whose next contract you don't want to pay, which is always fun. Like you, you just you're just trying you're swapping a you're swapping a financial problem, but saving forty million bucks in the process. That's a good move for the Bucks, I think. I think it's um, I just don't. I yeah I don't I, I can't picture the Clippers doing it now that I threw it. To, I mean if they really wanted to lean into the tank and they're planning on getting rid of Teodosic like and maybe you you know swap out Lou Williams for Teodosic and the Bucks still do it because they're saving a ton of money and uh, Teodosic is he's on the books for as long as Delavadova but has a player uh, yeah he's on the books for as long as Delavadova but he's cheaper and uh, he's he's more crafty off the dribble not so it's just I I it's, I don't know it's. It would be weird. Um, the last question, and actually this will – I guess that will do it because Isaac Adams threw in a third one. If you're an NBA GM uh, – no, wrong one. Isaac Adams, his third question, can you provide a rational explanation for whatever they're doing in Phoenix from a team-building perspective? What are they doing with Bender, Chris, Allen Williams, Greg Monroe, Chandler, and Lynn? My answer would be we kind of – like I honestly have no idea. Resigning Allen – Allen Williams was good last year. He's injured now. I don't think he'll play this season. If he does, it'll be at the tail end. Uh, Monroe comes off the book, so it's not a big deal. He'll probably be bought out if he isn't moved ahead of the deadline. Um, Alex Lynn has been an okay rim protector, but isn't going to give you much else this year. I don't. I just don't. I'm very just blasé on on Phoenix's long term outlook. Yeah, and 
I just think they've made some weird... So I don't understand why Tyson Chandler and Jared Dudley are still on the team. They should be guys that you should be trying to flip for any kind of draft asset at this point um, and just be bottoming, bottoming out. Um, but And then this is kind of like the reverse Memphis problem where the Grizzlies can't draft in the late first round. Like the Suns have just... I mean, Devin Booker was, a good, was, was really good where they got him. Um, I think he's a little overrated personally. Um, but they just haven't hit... On, on a lot of these picks. Um, so it's tough to be confident that that whatever it is they're doing there, if it does ultimately sort of develop into the right move, which is bottoming out and getting draft assets, um, it's, it's tough to be confident that that's going to be, that that's going to work just because of the team's track record. Uh, totally with you there. And that actually wraps up our mailbag. Kudos to anyone who made it to the end of what figures to be close yeah. to a two-hour podcast. So that was great, though. We talked about a lot of trades. Um, Grant, you were super generous with your time, and uh, we appreciate you coming on. I will surely be pestering you to come back as the season goes on. If you want to talk to Grant Hughes on Twitter about his awesome takes, uh, he is at GT underscore Hughes. That, again, is at GT underscore Hughes. He's at 988 followers right now. We both know that he won't care as much as I do, but let's try and get him to – 1k followers by the next time that he's by by far and away before the next time he's on the podcast he does great work and he's even while he says he tweets infrequently he will either give you in-depth gold or just some great innocuous donovan mitchell surface takes and i mm-hmm. you know follow him just for that um mm-hmm. please remember to rate subscribe and review hardwood knocks on itunes we would really appreciate it we would love to get to 100 uh, ratings on iTunes before Christmas or, or around the new year. That's really, I asked Andy what he wanted from Santa Claus this year, and that's the only thing he said. So let's really just make sure Andy gets his Christmas wish. You can follow Andy on Twitter at Andrew D. Bailey. You can follow me at Dan Favale. That's F-A-V-A-L-E. Follow our sponsor, MBA Math, at MBA underscore math. And follow the Hardwood Knox official Twitter account at Hardwood Knox. I am going to give a shout-out at the end of the podcast to Kyle Anderson, but a certain someone will be left off because Andy is not here. Until next time. Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, it's pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The iPhone XR is here at T-Mobile, and there's a whole lot to love, like those perfect portrait mode selfies you're going to share. Nice. And how emojis now turn every FaceTime with the kids into fun time. <laughs> In fact, the only thing you'll love more than your iPhone XR is getting it included in the price when you get an unlimited plan. That's right. Get both unlimited and iPhone XR included for just 40 bucks a month. Sure, you can get unlimited somewhere else. But for the same price at T-Mobile, you get unlimited and iPhone XR. Join today and get iPhone XR included with your unlimited plan for just 40 bucks a line for four new lines. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE or visit a store today. $30 for essentials plus $10 for iPhone XR with auto pay and qualifying trade-ins via 36 bill credits. Customers may notice lower speeds and further reduction if using more than 50 gigs per month. Video at 480p for well-qualified buyers plus taxes and fees. Contact us before canceling or remaining balances due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. Zero down plus $2084 per month for 36 months. Full price $749.99, 0% APR. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran. 
Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.